Things are not always what they seem to be. I know some of you have heard this little story, but it's so uh, appropriate to get us into this <clears throat> Bible story. I'm going to tell it to you. Little boy and girl, brother and sister, were begging their parents all during September, October, November, all we want for Christmas is a pony. That's all we want. We don't want any other toys. We just want a pony, right? So Christmas morning came. They came downstairs, and they looked around the house. There was no pony in the house. They ran out to the backyard, and there was no pony on the left side of the backyard. And then they went to the very back corner behind the shed. No pony there. <clears throat> they went around the right side of the yard. No pony there. But they were always having to step around pony poo. And the little girl's crying. And she goes, we asked for a pony, and all we got was pony poo. And her brother said, oh, no, this is a great morning. This is awesome. She goes, why is it awesome? He said, because I figure if there's that much pony poo, there's got to be a pony out here somewhere. <laughs> a lot of people tell that story to talk about the difference between pessimism and optimism. But the reason I told you is the way I started. Things are not always what they seem, right? And can you... Can you count even on both hands how many times you've misread a situation as bad and then watched as time passed, God turned it out well, right? A lot, right? You can't count all the times. You've, we all have stories. Well, that, these two guys were like the little girl. The guys walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They were trying to figure out what, how to read the backyard of their life and they had some really wonderful things to look at and they'd heard about, but their mind had such a filter on, and we all struggle with it, that they were filtering out what, what God was teaching them. And so in, in grace and patience and singular uh, love, Jesus picks out these two guys. You know, don't think the others weren't going through the same thing, all the other ones, but he picks out these two guys and they get the grace of walking with Jesus. He comes to their home. And when you, you get the sense when you read the story, like, like I did as a little boy with that picture. Uh, by the way, I just I absolutely love that picture so much, I gave it to my wife for our first year anniversary and said, you, she said, you gave that to yourself, not to... <laughs> she's right. And I won't let her throw it away. I'm going to frame it one day. It's been a few years now. But the story of the road to Emmaus is just gripping that Jesus would walk with you, right, for seven miles on Resurrection Day and talk with you. It's just amazing. But what I want to, you know, I'm preaching it, it's in the Bible for our sake. It's not in the Bible just for them, but it's in the Bible for all generations. So today, this is our walk with Jesus. In this room, we're walking with him, and he's walking with us because this story is alive for us. It's a real story, an encounter with Jesus. And everybody needs uh, this encounter. We, I do, you do, we all do. So I'm going to read the story to you. And then we've got these two points, as you see, in the folder. It's just in the folder or in your Bible. It's in Luke chapter 24, the end of his gospel. The same day he rose from the dead, two of his disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, 
Jesus himself came up and he walked along with them. This is the very interesting part of the story. But they were kept from recognizing him. Bing! Why? We, 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 get to, we get to speculate as we encounter Jesus. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now, he'd been listening for a bit. So they stood still. You know, that's one of those stoppers. Like, what are you asking us? You just walk up, stranger, and you're listening, and then you're going to interrupt this. You've been talking close to a friend or someone in your family, and someone walks up and kind of interrupts, and they want to, like, what are you talking about? And you're like, inwardly, you just want to say, go away. Right? Sometimes you say it. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who would ask a question like that? Does not know what things have happened there in, in these days? What things? He said. Like a great counselor, get them to tell it in their summary form. So what they do when he says what things is he's getting them to assimilate all of that and try to put it into words to tell another person. And often when we're doing that in counseling, the person arrives at their own understanding of their situation that they didn't have and a solution just by the telling, right? So he's getting them out to do this. What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, man, real man from up north, 100 miles north, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. He did miracles. Jesus kept saying in those three years, the miracles testify that I'm from God and that I'm the Messiah. He, did, he was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now, the Romans are the ones that crucified him, right? Our leaders, the Jewish leaders, handed him over. What an, an injustice. We had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel as a nation, save them, God's chosen people, save them from their enemies, establish a prosperous world with them in the middle of the world and, and, and headship of it. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. What's more, it's the third day since all this took place. Some, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning and they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels filtered out. Women, angels, silly stories. They filtered it out. But that's what they told us. They, the angel said he was alive. Filtered out. It's probably not true. Sounds like a fable. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. See, they're being like Thomas. He said to them, How foolish and slow of heart you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Remember, they don't recognize him. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, that's Genesis through Deuteronomy, and the prophets, that's the 17 books at the end of the Old Testament, so both bookends, beginning with Moses all the way through the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Now, I'll just say, we, we sometimes in our literary society, we all have books and we have, it on, we have the Bible on our phones now and all these different translations. If someone did this today, we may think that they're sort of showing off their Bible knowledge. 
but actually they were a non-literary society. Everything was mostly taught orally. There were some writings, right? Uh, the scriptures were, had been written, uh, but there were precious few of them on parchment. And so when Jesus did this, this was a normal way of a rabbi to teach. And, and people were more literate in the Bible verses that they were hearing about than people are today. So they're, they're Jews, they're men. They've been through Bar Mitzvah, they've been through the synagogue. These scriptures that he's referring to, if they don't know them, they know where they are and what street they live on in the, in the book, right? And so he can make a lot of hay with them because they know some Bible, right? But they don't have faith much and they're gonna get, they're getting their faith kindled, right? So he told all the scriptures concerning himself as they approached the village, seven-mile walk, where they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going a little further. But they urged him strongly, an act of appreciation and trust in the man. Stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. O Lord God, King of the universe, which gives food to those who are hungry, bless this food that we've received. And he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Okay, don't let them know what, who you are. Fill their minds and hearts with the scriptures. As soon as they figure out who you are, disappear so they, like, remember at the grave when he said, don't cling to me, to Mary Magdalene? So they don't cling to your visible appearance because you want something else for them. Are you catching the drift? So he disappears from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he went bang and there he was and we could tell he was? No. Were not our hearts burning within us when he what? When he talked with us and he opened the scriptures on the road to us? Wasn't that a neat encounter with God? Didn't we, as we heard the Bible open up, to us didn't we like sense that God the king of the universe was drawing us into his heart teaching us things that people long to know and that we were feeling peace from our head to our toe and and understanding and faith and trust we went from why is there no pony in the backyard to there's a pony right we we that happened to us they got up this is free this is just amazing ran all the way back to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, they said to the guys, you know, the guys run in, knock on their, we were with Jesus. We were with him for like two hours on the road and he told us, they go, ah, it's true, we saw him too. Simon saw him. <laughs> no, they didn't. They said, yes, it's true. The Lord's risen appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, how Jesus had was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And then right after this, he appears to them. All of them. Same night. Wow. Don't you just wish when you read the story that you got to be one of those two guys? Or one of the 11? I do. Always have. But we do. By Luke, Luke wasn't there. Luke wrote the story, but he's the guy that Paul converted. Luke wrote this story after all this research, and the Spirit led him to include this story this, for the same reason that Jesus kept them from uh, recognizing him. It was the same motive. Because the story changes you from faithless to faithful. 
The encounter creates true faith in the true object of faith, the true God and the true things that he's doing. And I think we can break this down into several parts, but I'm just going to break it down into these two. When you, when you encounter Jesus in this story, you realize that you can only understand your own life if you filter it through the scriptures. Now, I, I came by this thing called pastoral ministry through a, a, a transformation like this. I had all these ambitions and goals as an 18, 19 year old that were not to be doing this for my life's work. And I, I failed at my attempts to accomplish my goals very early. And my, because they were idols, it shattered my feelings and emotions and I way overreacted in sadness about it all. At the same time, in my church, my pastor preached such a clear Bible message and a relevance of the gospel for everyday life I realized the peace of Christ as I interpreted my life through the scriptures instead of through the what I thought it should be, that I said, I got the gift of gab and some leadership skills. I'm going to run back to Jerusalem and tell the world this is the answer for their lives. And by God's grace, I've got to do it for 30 years, 31. And the reason I tell you that is not to talk about me but it's to explain to you how deeply I feel when I say you, you cannot understand your life unless you filter it through the scriptures. It's not about every person going to do certain ministry. It's about every person learning the real meaning of life. Is Jesus saving you and being with you and taking you in a rescue helicopter out of this world? alive and, and forever living with him in heaven. That's the meaning of your life. Everything has to do with that. Everything is somehow related to that and everything's going to be okay because of that. Now think of all the ways you get anxious or sad or disappointment or depressed about all the other things in your life. Unless like these two guys you encounter Jesus every day. You get off track, you fall off the rails, and you end up in a train wreck. Right? Uh, two big things about the ways of God. One is, his vision for your life is not near as small as yours is. I can say that confidently about every one of us. It's not as small as yours is. Even if your vision is like bigger than everybody else in the room for how much success or money or whatever you wanted, right? His vision is bigger than anything you've ever imagined. And it has to do with that place also that we haven't been yet that we're going to be at forever. But it's big. And his vision and the way it plays out in your life, you know, is much bigger than you thought it would be in this life too. Secondly, his timetable is much longer than yours is. He's not tired of waiting. The same Peter that preached that sermon and that wrote that letter, he wrote in third, second Peter, so the third writing we didn't read from today in chapter three, he goes, God is not uh, um, 
He is not slow in keeping his promises. He's so patient, he doesn't want anybody to go to hell, so he's not destroying the world. Because the end of the letter, 2 Peter, is about the destruction of the world at Judgment Day. But he goes, he's, he's patient, not wanting anybody to perish. With him, the where he lives in eternity, and he is God, a day and a thousand years, eh, no difference. Not for God. He's slow. Remember what Paul wrote? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, right? Peter, in his sermon that I read, called it the last days. And you laugh when you see that. I, do, I did anyways, because like 2,000 years ago, he said it was the last days, right? God is slow. But that isn't bad. That's always good, because God is good all the time, right? But his timetable is not your timetable. And you run around the yard Parents are, haven't brought the pony out yet, right? They're going to bring it out. They have a plan. And it's always going to be better and sweeter and more wonderful. So I am giving you and it, the, the, what we take from the encounter with Jesus that these two guys took that is them-centered, that is hum, it's, it's humanism, it's human-centered. It's still real and true, but it's not God-centered. There's Jesus and God, right? And so Jesus, when he, when he walks up with them, remember, they don't recognize him. What does he say? How foolish and slow of heart you are to believe all the prophecies, right? The Bible, which was unfolded miraculously, beautifully, wonderfully, written over thousands of years, the Old Testament itself, from Moses in 1500 B.C., who wrote looking backwards and looking forwards, all the way to Malachi, which is 400, so you could do the mass, about 1,100 years of writing. That book, just the Old Testament, so beautiful, so wonderful, so powerful, so discernible that Jesus would expect some Jews to read it and go, there's a pony here somewhere. So he says, see, they're human-centered. How foolish and slow you are to believe all the prophets have said as God. Looking, Did not the God part, Christ, have to suffer and then enter into his glory. And then he started to show them how all these scriptures, and I'm just going to give you a few because most of you know a lot of, of the Bible. And if you don't know the verses I'm going to refer to, you know the streets they live on. Okay, Genesis, first book, Adam and Eve, fall into sin. I will put enmity between you and the woman, right? He'll crush the devil's head, first promise of a savior. Okay, chapter 12, Abraham, from your loins will come a baby that will be the blessing for all the Gentiles too. Not just your family, but all the nations of the earth. Chapter 12, verse 3. Okay? At the end of the book, when, when Abraham's family, Abraham's long gone, but Abraham's family's all together, Jacob says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, my son, and his family until he comes to whom it belongs, and the joy of the nations will be his. The nations, right? The Christ didn't come just to redeem Israel. Remember what the guy said? We thought he was going to redeem Israel. Jesus goes, oh, no, that's too small. Why would he come? He, remember, they don't recognize him. Why would he come just to redeem Israel? So he goes through all these passages, right? He gets to Isaiah 42, and he says, he goes, look, it says, light to light in the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel, right? Chapter 57, the temple, when a, when a, a, a non-Israelite comes to the temple, but they want to sign up to be an Israelite, welcome them in, right? And... Psalm 22, the sufferings of the Christ on the cross that you just told me about. And Psalm 50, 
uh, Psalm 51, uh, the repentance and forgiveness model and the sacrifices he doesn't desire because he's a, a body he's prepared. And he just goes on and on. Isaiah 53, stricken, smitten by God, but he was a, we thought he was going to be punished for his own sins, but he was punished for ours. And it's in past tense. And he's talking along the road. And they're going, oh, my goodness, right? And then Zechariah. When, when he's talking, and this is late in the Old Testament, he's, Jesus says to them, Zechariah said in chapter 3, verse 9, he said, God, I will, God said, I will remove the sin of the land in one day. You see, this, what the Christ did on the cross wasn't a huge mistake or problem. It was the thing that saved all people. He came to redeem everybody, not from the Romans or their situation, but from hell, death and hell. And a life that ends up a big, miserable, sad story. Now, I thought of other passages in preparation, but you got, a, you got the drift. What it would be like to be with Jesus if he's doing all that, right? You can't understand God unless you read the scriptures. You can't get him from your thoughts. You can't get him from the public and other world religions this way unless you read the promises of God and see them fulfilled in the life of Jesus. You cannot understand him in the wonderful, beautiful life of eternal life that he brings. And you are the two guys, and I am too, walking with Jesus. We haven't seen him. Have you seen him? If you have, you don't want to say it because we're going to call you crazy. But we, we don't get to see Jesus much, do we? Many people, right? We're those two guys while they're walking on the road. We're encountering Jesus through his word and the great message. I'll just give you an illustration. I'm closing this sermon down then. That's a promise. We're all on the same train. We're just in different cars. The train's running down the track called Life on Earth, and it always goes over the cliff. And one car pulls another, and one car pulls another, and we're all going to die from this life. We're all here temporarily. We're all on the same train. We're just in different cars. This is not heaven. He didn't come to redeem heaven. He, your life story is not about you staying here forever and every. Every story ends with a healing. Every story ends with everything's fixed. Every story ends with re reuniting on earth. It's all about getting rescued from the death that the train is rushing toward, which leads beyond the grave to judgment and punishment and hell. And to save the soul and raise the body later so you actually could, will be able to say, I was saved from the train. So I can't, I wish I had a dollar for every time, and I've said it myself, so don't think I'm standing outside of the circle, that every time somebody has said to me, I wish I knew what God was trying to tell me. I mean, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Maybe he's trying to tell me, stop. Stop. Why would his biggest message be something he's trying to tell you to move you from the middle car to card number 102. When the train is what? Going over the cliff, right? His biggest message is not how it works out in this life, but that it works out 
in his life. When your life gets lost in his life, which is eternal life, the details of trying to figure out what he's trying to tell you about a job or a medical condition or whatever is not near as big as the fact that it's all worked out. He came to rescue us. Remember right before he died, a couple of weeks before, he says to Martha and Mary, I am the resurrection and the life, right? Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Your soul, which gets connected to the gospel through faith, never dies. Your body will die because you're a sinner, but it will rise again, just like his did. That's what Easter teaches you. So you're off the train. Right as you're going off the cliff, today you will be with me in paradise. That's a word for all of us, right? You're off the train. That's the biggest message of the Bible. Everything finds its meaning. So don't stress so much about finding out what he's trying to tell you. He doesn't promise signs. Doesn't mean he doesn't sometimes use that. But why would God worry about you getting a sign when he can make everything happen the way he wants to, even if you are clueless? <laughs> so just, that's being human-centered. Be Christ-centered. Okay, when you get it, like they got it, You want to run back to Jerusalem and tell somebody, right? So, what about you? Hmm? You know, you know people who need this. Tell them about it. You've encountered Jesus. Run back to Jerusalem and tell them. You know that picture that's up there. I didn't take that. Brad Johnston did. It's one of the locations right behind where you're standing looking at that road. Right behind and to the right are the ruins of a little town that some scholars over in Israel think is Emmaus. You know why Brad took it? To share, to tell the story of the hope and peace and joy of Christ like today. Share it with people like me that can put it on the slide for you you were there with Jesus and your heart's burning within you because you know him just let it let it happen tell other people as God opens the door amen